Listen up. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Louisville Urban League's radio show and podcast, which comes out every week. Um, you can listen to us live on 101.9 FM WLLV or 1240 AM on Thursdays from 12 to 1230, or you can find us at any point in time, wherever you get your favorite podcast. Please be sure to subscribe, rate us, review us, let us know what you think about the show. Again, my name is Lyndon Pryor, the interim president and CEO of Global Urban League, and it is a joy to be back with you. And actually, just as a heads up, we are recording this episode a week ahead of time, because by the time you listen to this, it will be Derby Week. And as most of you know, or who have been listening to the pod for the last few months, you know that this week we are having our big Derby Gala um, and actually, by the time you hear this, that game will be over and successfully completed, and we will have done great things in terms of raising funds for this work um, and for this community. And so we tired. Um, and so that's why we are not coming to you live, um, and we are doing this early. But uh, I hope nonetheless that whenever this podcast finds you, that you have had a safe and healthy week. Um that all is well in your life. We do not take it for granted that you choose to join us each and every week. So uh, before we jump into the show with today's guest, um, just a couple of things to to keep on the forefront. Again, I recognize that it is Derby Week and um, it's a time of, of joy and celebration and fun and all that sort of stuff. But there are still some really critical things happening in our community that we need to be mindful of and continue to pay attention to. Um, one is we still have a DOJ report, a 90-page document that outlines all sorts of misconduct and misdeeds and a lack of accountability for our local police department. And we need to deal with that as a community. And so the uh, Department of Justice and the city are hosting community meetings um, around town to get feedback and input from community members about what ultimately will go into a consent decree, which is an agreement between the federal government and the city about how police um, will. And so I hope that you are planning uh, in those meetings to go and lift your voice, make sure that uh, your opinion Perspectives are heard because it is vitally important that they hear from community um, on this issue. And so we need to stay on top of that so that we are certain to get the results that we want and that we deserve as a community. The other thing that is happening that is actually connected to that are the negotiations for um, the new police contracts, which I, at the time of this recording, uh, my understanding is that those are uh, supposed to be starting either this week or the week after Derby. Um, unfortunately, I have not heard as to whether or not there will be public participation, uh, which is the thing that we at the Louisville Urban League have been fighting, lifting up now for months, that we believe that there should be public presence and participation in this negotiation on the mayor's side. Um, we believe that that is not only possible, uh, but it is necessary if we are going to ensure transparency and accountability process. And so 
there is still time. Um, I hope we are to act and to honor that, um, not just that request, but honestly that necessary need uh, for public participation. But we, we're not sure of, at least at this date, um, what is going to happen there. But continue to lift your voices, continue to speak out, continue to demand um, a presence for impacted people on that in that process, uh, because that is the only way that we're going to get to true accountability. And lastly, uh, you all may have heard uh, a couple weeks ago, we released a statement, we held a press conference and released a statement regarding um, gun violence in our community, in particular speaking out uh, with regard to gun policy at the state level as well as at the local level. And we, we are pushing for something that is, you know, somewhat controversial to some, not necessarily to us, in that we are saying that if the state won't act on common sense gun policy, that the local city, city council should act and begin to enact ordinances and laws um, that help to curtail and restrict the free flow of guns in our community. You know, there are just far too many um, unregistered, unmanaged weapons um, in our community. It is causing harm to all sorts of folks, including kids. And so we, we just no longer have to live like this. And so the expectation is that somebody will develop the courage to be able to go out and act here uh, soon. And so we've called on Metro Council to act. And, and there we've gotten some response um, of folks who are who are considering that, but we'd like to see some really strong action from them soon because this issue is urgent. Um, this did not just start with the old national shooting. Um, it has been going on in our community for a very, very long time. So we need to act now. Um, we do not need to wait or um, throw our hands up in defeat because we don't believe that anything can be done. Um, things absolutely can be done. And we talked more about that in our release, and you can find more about that at um, at LUL.org on our website. So those are the issues that are pressing right now, and so we, we really want to stay diligent and focus on those things in addition to all of the other areas that the league is, is deeply embedded in. But I just wanted to lift those get started here. Now, turning to this week's episode, um, I am honored and excited to have some of my favorite people um, in the world, members of the team here at the Louisville Urban League, and specifically a few folks who are from um, our health department. And, uh, that is near and dear to my heart because it is a department that I helped to stand up um, when I came to the league almost eight years ago now and began doing this. So um, joining us this afternoon are a couple of our community health navigators or uh, community health workers, is, um, their, their professional titles, as well as our newly minted um, director uh, for health here at the Louisville Urban League. Uh, I will say welcome to uh, BJ, to Heaven, and to Angela, um, who are here. And 
they are all new, of course, to the podcast, but I'm going to give them the opportunity to do what we always do with guests, and that is to give their um, own little quick and dirty introduction um, they are and what they do. So I will start, uh, BJ, with you, sir. Okay, my name is Melvin Boyd, a.k.a. BJ. I'm one of the health navigators on the health team. Um, I'm originally from Nashville, Tennessee. Um, I've been in Louisville in the area now for about um, 18, 19 years. Um, that's um, So at this point, I think I'm starting to be considered a native. <laughs> <laughs> it takes a while, but yes. Um, and, and BJ, you've been, you know, in, engaged in all sorts of activities, um, certainly throughout the pandemic, um, being really active and involved in the protests and the fight for justice for Breonna Taylor and McAtee and all of that work. Um, how did, when did that start? Because I imagine it was, you know, you were already kind of enmeshed in that before, um, you know. Those, those incidents, and so what brought you to those work? To the work of advocating health community. Activism. Activism. Um, it was just my frustration as a black man and as a black person in the world seeing the injustice with police brutality. So um, I've told people before, when Trayvon Martin happened, I was something was sparked in me. When Michael Brown happened, I was outraged because I was at that point starting to get fed up. And when Michael Brown happened, I remember telling myself that if anything was to happen close to home, I was going to go. Because I felt like I wanted to go out there to protest with Michael Brown in St. Louis, but I didn't. So I was like, if something ever happened closer, I was going to stand up. And when Breonna Taylor happened, I came home, seen people sharing videos on uh, live. And I was trying to figure out what was going on if somebody put that the police had killed somebody in Louisville. At the time, I didn't even know about Breonna Taylor, they just were saying the police killed somebody. And it was on May 28th, and I was like, you know what, I'm, I'm going out there. And I threw on some shorts and t-shirt, and I drove downtown Louisville and came out here, and ever since then, I just started protesting. Um, it became more and more of a passion, um, and after a while, I found myself in more and more activism work. Evan Ginn, another one of our community health navigators, give the people who put them dirty, Louisville native, Hello, my name is Heaven Gwen. I am a certified community health worker and power navigator here at the Louisville Urban League. Um, I have been doing the work here at the Urban League for two years. Um, I grew up here in Louisville, Kentucky, all of my life, um, in the West End of Louisville, Kentucky, to be exact. I went to Butler High School. He has graduated in 2016. Yes, I am a baby. I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, and what what made you or what interested you in coming to do this work? What brought me here to the league is just knowing what the Urban League was doing for the community um, and just knowing at one point I needed the kind of help the Urban League was providing to the community. Um, so I've always been very big, even my parents, just being being very big on giving back to those in need. So I wanted to be able to help those in need as well. Awesome. And then finally joining us this afternoon is Miss Angela Wilson, who is 
role as director um, for our health department, but she's been with the league for a little bit um, and was working and rebound um, through RPOP. And so, uh, Ms. Wilson, tell the people a little bit about yourself and what brings you to this space. Um, I was born in Hempstead, New York. But at age two, my mom and our family moved here to Louisville, Kentucky. So, yes, I am a Louisville native. Um, graduated from uh, Louisville Traditional High School, best high school in the city. Uh, <laughs> um, I have three adult sons. I have five beautiful grandchildren. And I have been working in mental and behavior health, community engagement um, in the city of Louisville and the surrounding um, six counties of uh, surrounding Jefferson County for 30 years now, about 30 years. Um, what led me to this work? Um, I tell people all the time, our family was poor and we didn't know we were poor. Um, my mom and my dad, I had four brothers and we didn't know we were poor. I do, I tell people the story all the time, I remember one month when my father lost his job, we ate potatoes for a month. And he was just so creative with it that he, we baked potatoes, scalloped potatoes, fried potatoes, cheese potatoes, but we didn't know how poor we were. Um, when we got Christmas, I was always in the chair. And so growing up, I just wanted to make sure to be able to help families the way that we were helped. I always loved working with children, and that's actually where my work started, was working with children. Um, a nurse saw me working at a daycare, and she said, I think you would be great doing this work um, in behavioral health with children. And that's really where I got my start and my spark. I went on and got my bachelor's and my master's, and I'm currently pursuing my doctorate in social work. So let's talk a little bit about this work and just a level set for those listening home in 16 we initiated a program that we call it starts with me community health program and that is a program that utilizes community health workers um, to help clients of the Louisville Urban League to navigate the social determinants of health um, and so some of those terms may or may not necessarily be familiar to everyone but first in terms of a community health worker, um, community health workers is, are, is actually a very old profession, um, not just in, uh, in Kentucky, but in health in general and kind of used throughout the world. And really all it is, I mean, there's certainly a very, you know, a longer clinical definition for what a community health worker is, but essentially it is a trusted member of the community um, who is often used to help to navigate um, residents or community members to various health resources. Um, and so in a lot of communities over time, community health workers have been the people when um, particularly rural communities that may not have a hospital or a doctor or um, a clinic or that sort of stuff. And so you have these traveling physicians who would need to go out to serve people. And so what they would usually do is depend upon a trusted member of that community to help them to gain access to community members. And so 
because oftentimes when people were coming in from outside, you know, they weren't trusted. People were like, oh, who is this? Who is that? You know, what are you going to do? Why, why are you here? That sort of stuff. I don't know you. Um, and so you needed kind of an emissary or an ambassador, somebody who was from that community um, to be able to, to help, you know, shepherd you into so that you could provide, you know, the life-saving care or assistance that folks needed. So that is kind of the, the basis or the foundation for what community health workers are. Strangely enough, um, that need is not just, uh, you know, specific to like rural communities. The reality is, is that in urban communities as well, where access to care or access to quality and uh, culturally responsive care um, is not always what it should be. Um, so having trusted members of those areas as well to serve as, as um, again, liaisons or or guides for you know members of the medical community becomes become, become really important, and so that's what in in a nutshell what community health workers are. That is the work that they do is they help to shepherd community members to and from uh, various health resources. Now the other thing that I said in there was uh, social determinants of health, and so what that is. Uh, just just quickly, is this idea around what is health? And so typically we have we've thought about health through this very narrow lens of like, well, how do you feel? And what does your doctor say about you? What's your blood pressure? What's your weight? Um, those types of things. But health um, is so much more than that. Health really has to do with all of the different things. Um, that are impacting your life. And so when we talk about social determinants of health, those are the social systems and structures um, that impact those very real physical parts of our health and well-being, physical and mental health parts of our, our health and well-being. And so, um, you know, whether or not you have diabetes or obesity or heart disease or all these sorts of things are impacted by things like, well, um, are you food insecure? Are you housing insecure? Uh, what are your, uh, you know, educational attainments? Uh, what does your environment look like in terms of, you know, the air quality, water quality, all of that sort of stuff, transportation, lots of different things have an, an immediate and direct impact on how we feel physically, mentally, and emotionally. And so when we at the Urban League decided that we were going to create press, the social determinants, that's what we were talking about. We were going to use these folks who are connected to community, embedded in community, have knowledge of this community, um, to be able to help people who are dealing with issues that are um, impacting their health in lots of different ways, um, which was kind of a bit of a, a novel idea at the time, because that's typically not the way community health workers are utilized. And so we did something new and innovative, and, and I'm happy to say that it's caught on. Um, when we started our program, there were about four, maybe six um, community health workers that were active in Louisville, Kentucky. We now have a network of over 100 um, community health workers throughout the city. Um, and so 
the value of what we've done and what we've started here really can't be uh, stressed enough. And it's one of the things that I'm very proud of um, and proud to have been a part of and proud of these individuals uh, for the work that they're doing. So that's enough of me monologuing on this, but I want to turn to uh, you know each of you to say, in the experiences that you had, um, DJ, I'll start with you. What is the value that you've been able to see as a community health worker, as a navigator, um, that you're able to provide to community? The value that I see that I can provide, um, some of the values would be, number one, of course, there's the assistance that they get, um, the knowledge um, that we can give them about what they're going through, because sometimes people just don't know. Um, they don't know what to do. And then one of the things I'm finding along the way is sometimes while they need the help, one of the things that we can give them is that listening ear and that shoulder for that moment because they need to be able to express their frustration. And sometimes as a navigator, sometimes you do become that person where they can kind of just for two or three minutes sound off while they're trying to get the help. So being able to provide that to them, um, like I said, the actual resource and help sometimes they're calling us here at the Urban League because they don't know who to call. So calling us to try to say, hey, can you help me? I don't know where to go. So being able to provide them that and help them actually get the resource that they actually need is what I'm finding. One of the things we say around here is that sometimes, and particularly for you all, you know, we see people on what might be the worst day of their lives, right? Um, and to BJ's point is that sometimes best thing we can do is to is to be there and listen like how do you deal with folks who may be coming to you in in a space of, of trauma or just really urgent need so just to kind of echo what bj say first i just listen because sometimes they just have to get it all out and once you know i look when while i'm listening you know i'm being very empathetic and just trying to understand what they're going through because I come in in crisis. I just try to listen to everything they are saying. Um, I don't try to lessen what their emergency is, um, and I don't try to necessarily blame them for anything that they're going through. Because when I what I find when people come in, they're like, you know, I've went here and. It's just they don't want to listen. They're, you know, they're saying, "Oh, how did I get myself here?" But they're not listening. So they're people blame them. Right? So you, so people blame themselves, right? Like they come in and feel like they've done something wrong to mm -hmm. end up in this spot. And you just have to make them understand that it's not anything that they did wrong. It's just that they did not know what kind of help was out there. Mm -hmm. You know. So I had a client yesterday who was in urgent need of housing. Um, currently staying in a hotel, needing us to work through our deposit assistance program. So with that urgent need, um, I went ahead and, of course, looked at everything. Mm -hmm. Just looked at everything, um, make sure everything was correctly so that we can push out some kind of pledge letter so that this person could have someone, somewhere to stay at night. Um, a permanent house and not something as temporary as where they've been. Um, just to get them out of that space um, of homelessness, which is 
what we are facing a lot more with clients right now. Um, so I was able to at least help them get into permanent housing. Absolutely. So, like, Angela, thinking about, you know, the connectivity of resources, one of the things that I said when, when we initially started this program was part of the issue is, well, part of the issue isn't necessarily that there aren't resources. And that's not to say that Louisville has everything. Um, there are a lot of gaps. However, there are a lot of things that are available. The issue is, is that the pipeline or the ability to access those things and to do so in a timely manner is sometimes really, really difficult, right? Like it is putting people in a wait or to have to call back or have to figure out like, oh, be transferred over here to over there and all of that sort of stuff. And so a big part of what, you know, initially we we started with the idea behind the, the Navigator program was having people who would help people do that, right? Because if I'm in a state of trauma, like sitting on the phone for two hours just ain't the thing that I want to do. And so we've had navigators from time to time to do that, to say, you know what, I'll do this. You take care of you, and then I will let you know what the results are, right? Um, and so we've, we've helped to do that, which sounds, you know, really, really simple and really practical, you know, really basic, but it can be such a huge load off. But then the flip side to that, where, you know, I know you've got some uh, great experiences, is also going to those providers to say, hey, figure out how to cut this time down, right? And so we have um, developed over the years really a lot of partnerships with folks um, that we call warm handoffs, where we can, we can work with them to get people direct and immediate access um, to the services they need. I am so how valuable are those types of If there's of a resource for it, I'm going to find it. And not only, am I, I'm not, going to, not only will I find the resource, I am going to make sure that I get to know the person that is in charge or the contact person in, in charge of that resource because, um, Lyndon, as you stated, sometimes when people are in a state of crisis, they cannot see a way out. And, and I was talking to the team about this yesterday. Um, that there is such a desperation right now for um, residents here that are on either homeless or on the verge of homelessness. So everything is a crisis. They need everything right now, now, now. And so I pride myself on being able to say, it's okay, take a beat, take a breath, let me a couple of phone calls, and we're going to make sure that you get the help that you need. Um, I like that I know if somebody needs help with housing, I could call and say, hey, we have this resource. Or um, if someone needs help with education, we can say, we have this resource. So whatever it is, and I make sure to call them to say, please be expecting a phone call from XYZ because they need this help. Another thing that um, a lot of the community partners and I have been discussing is stop shaming people for needing help because that prevents them from seeking the help. Stop shaming them for needing it. And I've seen it time and time again. And I've even had to call out some of my own colleagues on it. Stop shaming them for needing help. You know? Um, and I, one of my colleagues also perfectly defined it as documentation fatigue. We are always needing documentation. We're always needing, you know, uh, paperwork to be completed and, and filled out. And so 
I want to be able to help them fill out that paperwork and explain it to them what this is and why we need this paperwork for them. Because if they look at this packet of paper in order for them, you know, to, to get to their next place, they're going to say, forget that. I'm not filling that out. We right now, we can't even get some landlords to fill out paperwork in order to help situations better for their residents. So stop shaming people who need help and be mindful that documentation fatigue is for real. We want to be able to assist them with that and make sure they understand what they're signing, what, what the information is asking for, and that they won't get into trouble, you know, when they're filling out this um, information that they need. So another part of what we do with the program is <clears throat> there is kind of addressing these immediate barriers that folks have and trying to help shepherd folks to the appropriate resource because while we don't, we offer a lot of things um, here, we don't offer everything. And so, so a big part of you all's job is getting them to these community partners, but to the things that we do offer, it is once somebody gets stable, it is also saying like, hey, you know, there's more that we can do. And so, BJ, can you talk about like the other ways in which we try to, you know, once we get past the initial hurdle, um, the other ways in which we keep up with people to kind of help move them to you know, stable places? Um, yes. It's, um, so with that relationship after you've met a client, um, I'll just give an example of how that can be done. You know, a client can come to you and they're um, saying they want housing. Like, I need to get in the house, I need to get in the house, I, I, I need a place to stay. But as you're doing an assessment with them and trying to figure out what's going on, you realize they don't have a job. And you're looking ahead, um, as uh, Ms. Angela said, what they don't look ahead to, which is if you don't have a job and you get somewhere, you're going to get evicted, which is going to make it harder for you to move somewhere else, then it's on your record, all those things. So trying to, you know, say, hey, at the Urban League, we have a workforce department, and this is what we want to do to help you and set you up for success so that you don't have problems later and we can still help you get in the house so what we'll do is we'll connect you with someone in our workforce department that person can help you find a job that's a good job where you can start paying your bills so that we can get you into a place and you don't have to worry about getting evicted and your landlord doesn't have to worry about evicting you but while we do that we can also let them know down the line we have a housing department as well so after you've been renting for a while and working for a while and you want to be a first-time home buyer and you can go on and get into that program. They will work with you on your budgeting even more, uh, your credit and things like that to help you be a, a home buyer. So that's some of that process as far as helping them in that way. And that's important, right? Like it is, you know, one of the things we pride ourselves on here at the league is really trying to be holistic, right? Like it is not just about the Band-Aid for the immediate part, but it is really trying to holistically say like, all right, how do we help you, for lack of a better term, kind of heal and get to a, a true solid place um, or or foundation, you know, so that you can go out and thrive, right? Like, and it's not and it's not thrive by our own terms, but it is thrive by whatever terms you have set for yourselves. And so, like, having thinking about you know clients you've had or, or just experiences with with folks. Have you been able to see people kind of set their own goals and then begin to work towards those things? Yes, definitely. Um, I have a client right now, and actually, when she came to me for assistance, she, instead of me having to maybe pull that out of her, she was like, you know, I know that I'm in this position now, but I'm really 
interested in wanting to go ahead and get into a course for budgeting. So I was able to, you know, automatically send her over to our financial empowerment center just so she can get that knowledge for budgeting. Um, so some clients, they do go ahead and set their own goals. And then some of them, you may have to kind of nudge them in the right direction for their goals and what they want to do. But yes. Yeah. And that's important. Like one of the things we've set up has been like what we call a person first model. Um, and there are other terms for it. But when we say person first, it is really understanding that a couple of things. First, people are people. They are not their situation. Right. Mm-hmm. Like so, you know. <laughs> Um, and you are not, you know, homeless or uh, hungry or, or you know, a, a previously incarcerated person. Like we don't, you know, we don't use that type of language. We are always talking about people first. But the other part to that is, is also ensuring that people get to determine for themselves um, what it is that they want and where they want to start. And then we do our best to work around that the you know the kind of example i always use is you know if if somebody comes to us and 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 actually actually i can use a real example one of our very first clients in the program you know um came to us saying you know hey i I really want help uh with the job like that is that is where where i want um and this was a client who had diabetes that had gone untreated uh for a long time and, you know, we said, hey, you know, we may need to really work on getting getting your diabetes treated and under control. Um, and so, but he was he was adamant, like, hey, I, I want to work. And so compromise that we had then was to help them to see the connection between those two things. And so it was saying, like, we will still set up an appointment with the workforce development counselor. We will start working on a resume. We will start moving forward um, on a job hunt. As we do that, though, will you allow us to help you set up an appointment with your primary care physician so that we can go and do that? And so once we had ingrained, um, developed a little sense of trust that, hey, we're going to do the thing that you want to do. We're going to move forward on that. He was then willing to say, like, okay, and we can do these other things. And then we walked through those two steps um, together onto a successful conclusion. And so I want to pivot slightly to some of the, one of the other things that we see a lot of. And we, we are taking in lots of different issues, but a big one right now is also mental health. Um, and I would argue that every client, regardless of what um, they come to us for, is probably in need of some measure of mental health uh, assistance or self-care. Um, Angela, your background is largely in the space of mental What can you say about what we are seeing out in community with regard to um, the need for, for greater attention towards mental health and then access to that care in general? Um, we actually just had this conversation in a meeting yesterday. Um, right now, Jefferson County is our need of more mental health practitioners. And so the access to uh, mental health services um, can be slow. Um, and sometimes you're on a wait list. And then, and then especially for, um, we know that in the Black community, uh, 
and for mental health um, is not a favorite thing to do. Um, and so that's why. But I will say, let me interrupt you, that that has started to change. Yes, and that's and, I was going to say that. And I was going to say that that's right. But we make sure to continue to stress the urgency of it and to let them know to normalize it, to make it feel welcoming, to make sure that it's not a stigma around it. We all need mental health services. I know personally for myself, even coming out of everything that happened from the pandemic and Breonna Taylor, I sought services even for myself. And so we do that intentionally to make sure that we are, uh, we need to make sure that we have the accessibility. Um, again, I make sure that I have a list of known providers. I try to make sure to do the warm handoff to those that are in need of it, but we do need it. Um, the, the things that we have been through together in this community for the past couple of years, um, we all, you know, warrant some type of mental health services or some type of self-care. Um, even if you do some type of group therapy or individual therapy, all of those things can be beneficial to any individual that has been through what we've been through in the last few years. So, Which is a great place to plug. Um, the league through our work with the path forward in partnership mm -hmm. with begin to talk and some other local um, black mental health providers. We are offering community self care groups, um, which are free of charge. And so there's an opportunity there to go and meet and they active spaces. So they're grouped by different demographics. So some for black men, some for black women, for caregivers and other spaces. Um, and so that is absolutely an opportunity for um, anybody in the community to sign up and go and get that and go and get um, the care that you need. We are providing uh, both clinical and non-clinical counselors in those spaces for eight weeks at a time. Um, again, completely free, child care provided, meals are provided. Um, you can learn more about that on the Little Bourbon League's website, lul.org. You can go sign up. Um, we're running four different cohorts this year. Four eight-week cohorts are happening throughout the year. And so I, I just want to make sure that I lift that up. And thank you to our partners um, and, and friends around the community who have helped us to develop um, that that uh, that opportunity as well as um, continue to provide care for our clients and our staff, um, which is something I, you know, I'm very proud of that we do here at the league is that we make sure that these services are available to all staff here at the league um, as well. Um, BJ or, or Heaven, like what are you all seeing in terms of the need for health care and access among the clients that, that you, you have coming through the door? Um. So I can use specifically a client I had last week. Um, I think one of the things we're seeing is those that are coming to us in need, while they know they may need mental health, they don't look at it as important as the other need that they have. Mm -hmm. And I had a client that was like that the other week. They were involved in one of our programs, Mobile Youth Network, which we partner with other community organizations city. And she was needing um, help with rent assistance. And while that was her pressing need at the moment, she, you know, in talking to me, let me know about her mental health issue, um, concerns that she had as well. 
and she was seeing a therapist, but she had stopped and she wasn't going and she wasn't doing this. And I encouraged her to keep doing that. It was important for her to do that. That is important for her. But for her in that moment, um, and I, I feel like that's a, with a lot of our clients, they, they don't look at that as important right now because right now I need this. Mm-hmm. And I'll forsake my mental health as long as I can take care of this need in the moment. And sometimes we, they put that, and as a community as a whole, sometimes we put that on the back burner to take care of the other issues and other concerns that we have. And I want to be clear on this, right? Like when we're talking about mental health, I think sometimes we use like a term and it it gets lumped in with specific, you know, mental illness and and certain diagnoses. And that is important as well. But it's important for people to remember, like there's an entire spectrum Mm -hmm. of um, mental health or mental illness that run from what folks might consider to be the very benign, like I just don't feel well today or I'm not feeling myself today, um, all the way up to significantly or severe um, diagnosed or diagnosable issues. Um, And for us, all of that is mental health. And so we're not necessarily talking about anybody on one particular end of the spectrum, um, but it is understanding that all of that is important and that all of and that we're all impacted in a way, uh, particularly folks who are are being traumatized by systems of oppression in our community, that is constantly impacting um, your ability to function at the highest possible levels. And so, when we're talking about mental health, it is about dealing with all of that, being able to just talk about things, um, you know, that are happening in your life, things that are stressing you out. Um, maybe all it takes, this isn't about everybody, you know, needing medication or needing to be diagnosed or hospitalized or any of that sort of stuff. Some of this is just simply being able to sit down and acknowledge what is happening in your life and talk about that with the trained professional to be able to process it because there's so much unprocessed trauma, um, that black people in general have had to deal with and continue to deal with across this country, um, but certainly in this community, there is just unprocessed, unresolved trauma, and it takes a toll, right? Like on our bodies, um, on our minds, how we treat one another, how we treat our families and loved ones. And so dealing with that is is super important. So I just wanted to, to make sure that I, I lift that up for people to stand. Peter, um, you mentioned about having you know young people and that is another space um, or demographic that is really struggling. Um, young people, usually is really 16 or so to really about 30, right? Like that is a demographic that is, is facing a lot of challenges in our community. What, just your opinion, right? Like I'm not asking for a formal mission, but what are you seeing and like what's what's happening uh, from your vantage so i see with a lot of young people um you know just even with my age now i feel like a lot of the stresses come from trying to figure out like mm-hmm. you know just trying to figure out where you go from here you know you graduated high school maybe you are in school and school stressful or maybe you're not in school and you just don't really know where to go from here. You know, you may have friends that 
are advancing great. You know, you may not, you know, have friends that are just there with you. But just trying to figure out life is such a stressful thing for your mental health. Um, trying to just kind of gauge what you should do. And it kind of discourages some young people. Um, they start to feel as if they're not holding up to what they thought they may have been, you know, at this point in their life. Um, so, you know, they kind of get into maybe not necessarily, but like a s small depression. So I think a lot of young people are going through that as far as life. And then also being young and seeing all the changes in the world, seeing maybe friends and family who are early passing on, um, it is another stressful matter. Uh, me being 25 years old, I have seen so many people I've grown up with or went to school with just pass away due to gun violence, and that kind of plays a big toll in a lot of the youth that I'm working with right now. That plays a big toll. You know, they're losing so many friends and family, and it's like, what else? So, um, so right now, that is what I am seeing a lot with the youth um, as far as trying to navigate life, also trying to navigate life when you're losing someone. Um, that is a big ordeal with them. Yeah, I mean, I think certainly given the rates of violence um, in our community, uh, you know, I talk about unprocessed trauma, and I, I think we can be very specific in terms of unprocessed grief mm -hmm. um, and how you, how we, um, as a community, uh, have failed to, to really process grief and loss. And, I, and I'll say this, and I'm going to come come to you, Angela, but grief in lots of different forms. And I've, I've said this about COVID. Um, there was obviously the loss of life that happened, right? Like we lost a lot of people to COVID. Um, and that is a real toll, right? Like more than a million Americans died as a result of, of so there's the real grief that happened there. Um, there is the very real grief and loss that was happening in this community with regard to just violence because that was still raging during the during the pandemic that was still happening we were setting records every year um and that's a real thing like there's this there's this actual literal death that is taking place um certainly the trauma um that was being endured by, by protesters and those in the streets who who were literally being harmed um, day in and day out uh, by uh, you know by police and, and others and, and the physical traumas of that. But I also like to lift up, in, in, and it sounds strange, but particularly thinking about COVID, there was also the loss of opportunity, right? Like this loss of things that were planned or that you thought were going to happen, um, you know, and it, and it sounds trivial, but I, I experienced this in my own home, um, life and with my, my child. My, my child was to start kindergarten during the pandemic and was so excited to be able to go to school and couldn't go to school, right? Like, couldn't go to the physical place of school. And I watched, like, toll that that took on a great student and did well and the school did great in terms of making you know um, you know uh, virtual classes and all of that stuff happen 
But there was, for anybody who's had a, you know, the parent of a young child, like, you know, kind of the excitement of like, oh, we're going to go to school, we're going to meet your parents, we're going to have, oh, you're going to do all these things, and you lose, you lost that, right? And that is something, as simple as it may sound, that is something still to be grieved, right? Like, that is something still to be processed, and for folks who are going to start that new job, or who are going to move to that new place, or who are going to open that new business, or do this thing, or that thing, like, for a lot of people. And I think this speaks to what you're talking about, Heaven, is that reality has not met, has not met the expectation of what it is. And so how are we processing that? And so, Angela, I know for you, both personally as well as professionally, um, you know, kind of seen and dealt with what that looks like. And so how do we begin to, to help particularly young people reconcile? these things, right? Like the, the, the difference or the disconnect between the reality and the expectation. There is compounded trauma and grief that we've experienced in our, in our community. Um, for me, I know we talk about um, COVID and Breonna Taylor, but for me, it started when my son was shot in 2018 and my aunt was murdered in October of 2018. So I had all of that. And then we rolled to 2019 and here comes this thing called COVID that nobody knows about. We're supposed to only be shut down for a couple of weeks and it ended up being nearly three years. And then we're watching people die that we know that we've interacted with, that were family, that were friends, and in the blink of an eye, they were gone. Um, and so imagine trying to reconcile that with young people that probably don't even have the tools and the knowledge to process all of that. And a lot of a lot of adults didn't have the tools and the knowledge to process all of that. I think that just for me personally and professionally, um, and at the time I was in grad school. So personally, we make sure as a family to check in with one another. We make sure to check on our young people, check on our senior saints, as we call them, and make sure they were okay and make sure they had the things that they needed. Um, professionally, um, our colleague, my, 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 my um, classmates, we were, in, we were checking in with one another and we were also helping our the families that we served in our jobs. So if we had young people that were in need of services and we didn't have that resource, because a lot of the resources that we did have, they either shut down, they were no longer available, you know. So we had to rely on one another to make sure that we found those resources. And um, I hope I can put a shameless plug into um, Spalding University where I was going to school at because they created spaces for the students at that time to deal with some of these grief and loss. They created spaces for just black students. They created spaces just for Asian students. So whatever your demographic or whatever you wanted needed to be and you wanted that safe space to be able to, to grieve and process what was going on in your life at that time, they created those spaces for us. And I, I thought that was amazing. So we stayed in touch with one another to make sure and to reach out to those young people to make sure that they were, sometimes they're resistant. And sometimes having a conversation, um, 
they may have felt like they were just having a conversation when they needed to vent. As BJ and Heaven said, some a lot of the times when they're encountering people that are going through their crisis, the first thing they do is listen because they have not had the opportunity to express what they're going through, their frustrations with what they're going through, because either nobody wants to listen to it or they're going through their own stuff, so they don't have time to listen to that. And so we have to create spaces um, whenever we can and make ourselves available whenever we can to listen to those things. And then just gently say, hey, you know, maybe we can refer you to a professional, you know, when you're ready to see, you know, if this be. And, and some of them are receptive to that. And uh, I know I've worked with a lot of young people. I've worked with a lot of young black men who have come to me and just have, poured their hearts out and cried over the things that they were going through because there is such an expectation and a stigma on what they're supposed to be, on what black manhood is supposed to be, and they are not able to live up to that expectation. And so creating those spaces for them to be able to express what they feel and how they can move forward is vitally important. And in some of the spaces I did, we were able to create those spaces. That's really good. I PJ, I want to ask you, not to put you on the spot, but I, I do wonder, as, as a black male, in particularly in this role, right? Like, you, you're familiar with the network of community health workers we have around here. Ain't a lot of us uh, <laughs> who are doing that work. Um, do, you, do you feel a sense of responsibility, particularly as, as a black man doing that particular work? Um, in this space? Oh, yes. I mean, um, like you said, we don't. Um, we went to one of our conferences last year, and I did notice in the room um, how many men were there, and then I took note of how many black men were present. And in that conference that I was at, if I'm, I probably might have said there might have been three to five of us. Wow. Literally. So, out of the whole conference and you know so just noticing that I do see a responsibility um and I think I try to cater that especially and I think men respond to that like when I get a client that calls um if it's a, a young black man you know I can hear it in that voice like you know almost instantly like bro cuz like I need you to help you you know help me because you know they that camaraderie of uh, another man and another man being able to help them because a lot of them may not have that father, brother, cousin that they can ask for help. Here I am now as that health worker that can help them in that sense. Um, so back to what you said, Angela, I think it is incredibly profound that you all have talked about this. All three of you have talked about the importance of listening um, to one another. Uh, but Angela also, like, the need for us to check in with each other, um, particularly checking in with the young people in our lives uh, to make sure, like, hey, are you, is there something that you need? What can I do? Um, and that's something that everybody can do, right? Like, I think that is, that is not, that's not particular to a profession, that is not particular to, you know, any type of job role, right? Like, that is simply making the space um, in the time for us to do it. And I get it. Everybody's busy. Everybody's swamped. Um, and I don't think that, I don't think that we don't do it. 
out of a sense of, you know, malice or neglect. Um, it's just not part of the way we're wired um, anymore. And I'll be honest, like technology does not help um, with that in the way in which we're kind of all now so engrossed and in, 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 uh, in caught up in social media and our phones. I think sometimes it is easy because you saw so-and-so's, you know, post something and they scroll past your feed. Like you kind of use it as almost a mental check. Like, oh, they all right. You know, they posted something last week or they posted something yesterday. They fine, right? Like, and that is not the same, right? Like that is not the same as checking in on somebody. And I think we all, and this is me talking to myself as much as anybody else. Like we all have to get better at, you know, no, really, how, you're, how are you doing, right? Like, what's good? How are you? And so I, I think that is certainly something that we all um, can can take away. As we as we close, one of the things that I do for everybody, and I'll ask um, each one of you, uh, what is your hope for this city, for this community? I work with agencies that I supported because I started saying I need to see tangible, um, sustainable, long-lasting resolutions to Ooh. the people in my community that was suffering. Um, Linda, you said you know sometimes. You just put a Band-Aid on some of the things and then they're, you know, they're coming right back and needed. So I think that that is what I love so much about the Louisville Urban League because we are looking at every single aspect of what needs to be, you know, of what a person would need in order to make their lives sustainable. Um, I recently um, was in Cincinnati um, at, a, a, at a place called Avondale. And they had a, a, a woman there. Her, her position was called the Director of Quality Life. And I, that was my reaction. And I said, I want to do So I, I need to talk to you. And so we talked about all things that help us have a quality of life. And so we deserve happiness. We deserve freedom. We deserve to be able to go somewhere and not be afraid that we might get shot. We deserve to go in places that we're not questioned or turned away or rejected because of the color of our skin. And so that's what I want for this community. I want to be able to say that I contributed to helping someone find a positive quality of life for themselves and for their families. I would like to see uh, a plethora of things go on. <laughs> one of the things I would like to see, um, and I, it's both-sided, I would like to see accountability in our community. Um, that goes for the black community as well as the police, because, you know, um, we do issues in our own community, and we need to be accountable for ourselves, and we need to hold those that do wrong accountable. But also for the police, for our community, I would like to see accountability. Um, and I, I would like to see better resources for our community, uh, better funding for our community. Um, I would like to see for our community just in a better overall way that can help. Things coming to the community that can help push and elevate 
the living there and uh, other things that will go into community. If you go past 9th Street, there's not a lot of that. We don't have restaurants, there's no hotels, there's not even hardly a gas station. I mean, there's really nothing there but houses. So those type of things that can help build up the economy, give jobs, wealth, sustainability to the community is some things that I would like to see. I mean, you know, they've covered a lot, but one of the main things within our community that I would love to see, and it's consistently being said, is affordable housing. Mm. Um, right now, there is not a lot of affordable housing, and if there is, it is not up to par. Um, it is not livable, it can be, but not, not really. Um, I want to see more affordable housing that does not have years of a wait list, uh, months of waiting for those in our community, because at this given moment, that is one of the biggest needs. Um, and I'm going to just leave it there. Well, thank you all for for this time. Um, let me say, you know, and I, I am biased, uh, my favorite department in the building, uh, but it is. It is honestly because I understand how vital the work is, and I view um, our community health, our navigators, as kind of the connective tissue, um, for, quite frankly, for this community. Um, if we're going to ever get to the spaces that you all are talking about, if we're ever going to get to places of true freedom and liberation, and wellness and well-being, um, it's going to take lots of different um, resources, uh, a kind of a really holistic approach. And community health workers are really the only ones who are out here doing all of those things, right? Like you all are the ones who are ensuring that all of those resources, not just one not just dealing with the singular issue, but really trying to make sure that like, all right, let's get you completely well-rounded. Um, and that's just simply essential um, to, to really moving an individual forward, a family forward, an entire community forward. So uh, I thank you all. So ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us here again on Listen Up, the Louisville Urban Leagues Radio Show podcast. Again, you can find us every week on the radio on Thursdays from 12 to 1230, uh, WLLB 101.9 FM to 1240 AM, or you can find us at any point in time, uh, wherever you get your favorite podcast. Remember to subscribe, rate us, review us, let us know what you think of the pod. I hope that you have a wonderful, um, that you've had a wonderful dirt week thus far. Urban League's Kentuckiana Bills program is your introduction to the skills trades that lead to careers in construction, plumbing, electrical, carpentry, and HVAC. This six-week hands-on and technical education program provides training for job seekers to earn three national credentials, JCTC credit, all while connecting employers with a qualified, skilled workforce. 
This innovative partnership is funded by Kentuckiana Works and the Kentucky Education and Workforce Development Cabinet. For more information, visit lul.org backslash jobs. The Louisville Urban League wants to make sure that every student thrives academically. And to make that possible, the league is offering free intensive tutoring to JCPS students who qualify. Kindergarten through 12th grade students can receive expert help in reading, math, and ACT prep. Kids like me deserve every opportunity to succeed in to reach our greatest potential. Sign your student up today. To learn more, visit lul.org or call 502-585-4622.